Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are here, God, to touch our lives, to meet with us, God, to change us, God, to bring God your will to pass in our lives. And right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare over our families and over New Life Church, everything that has been locked up and shut up by the enemy is loosed in Jesus' name. We declare right now the days of wilderness and desert living are over. We declare we are coming out of every demonic prison constructed unjustly and illegally by the enemy. We declare every mental block, mind-binding spirit, and every spiritual and physical restriction is broken in Jesus' name. We declare we are loosed from every oppression, and we say we are spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically free. We declare we are loosed to live and breathe and operate in all the fullness and plan of God on every level designed for us. And we declare our season of fruitfulness begins now. And we declare all of this in Jesus' name, God. In Jesus' name. And Lord, right now, we thank you that you have given us the right, the power, and the authority, God, to operate in your name. Lord, that we can declare your will upon this earth. God, your will in this church, in our homes, God, in our city, God, in our marriages, in our children. And we speak right now, according to the word of God, every body that is sick or diseased in this room is healed in Jesus' name. We declare right now every need, every financial need, right now is met in the name of Jesus. We declare right now, every unsaved loved one, friend, family, neighbor, co-worker, is now, right now, the seed of the Word of God, is beginning to grow, God, that you are drawing their hearts to salvation. We say right now and we declare that every child that is wayward is coming home. Every backslider is coming home right now. And Father, we declare, God, right now, that your presence will guide us. Just in the days of old, when your presence, God, guided the children of Israel, so today your presence shall guide us. That you are with us, and we declare everyone watching online is being touched right now, in their home, in their car, on their phone, wherever they're at, Father, everyone online right now is being touched by the hand of God, the Spirit of God. We have not come here today, God, to play church. We have come today. God, we have come today to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, we are your children. We are heirs and joint heirs. Father, your word declares that we are kings and priests before you. We have been saved, your word says, to the uttermost. And Father, we stand in that place of identity. Not from what we've done, but Jesus, from what you not only did, but completed. And Father, we give you glory and we give you honor. And we release Holy Spirit right now that from this day forward, from this moment, 
until the day we enter your presence in heaven. We shall walk with you, that you shall be by our side. Your hand, your word declares in Isaiah 41.10, with your righteous right hand, you will hold us. You will lift us up. And we will be radically dependent upon you and you alone, God. And we thank you, Jesus. And we give you glory. We give you honor. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. Well, I, there's a couple things that I'd like to say. First of all, I do want to remind everyone, just so you know, we do apologize. Oh, we're releasing the youth today, uh, all youth, junior high, high school, you're free to go. Um, I, I, I want to say that we do apologize for our scheduling snafus uh, with uh, uh, the baptism. We had scheduled a baptism for this afternoon, um, but that has been uh, rescheduled for July 3rd, so... Mark that down. We'll be giving you more information about that. And so just kind of um, bear with us in that. Amen. It is good to be back. Um, I haven't been in the pulpit here in three weeks. And so uh, Kathy and I, for the last 10 days, we, we were in California. We, I had the opportunity to preach uh, a revival, or not a revival, actually a conference uh, with a friend of ours in Tustin, California. And then we spent a few extra days over there because it was Kathy and I's uh, 36-year anniversary. Amen. So I, I could tell you that I could tell you that I am in, more in love with her today than I was when I met her. I remember I was telling the first service. I remember when she first walked into the church. What day was that? April 15th, 1985 was when she walked in. I remember in, in the church in the theater downtown, the, the church, but if you, it, there's only a few people that would remember this, but we had a grand piano off to the, to the right of the stage. And uh, Rosemary and I, it was before service, Rosemary Adams and I were standing by the piano, we just talking, and I don't know, something got my attention. I turned back, and lo and behold, Kathy walks in, and that was it. I was done. I was cooked. A stick a fork in me. But I, I learned at that moment, the, prom, the problem was I learned at that, well, just a few days later, I learned that she had just turned 16. And Rosemary, I think Rosemary quipped, she goes, well, John 16 will get you 20, so pay, don't. <laughs> but I was 19 at the time. And, and, uh, but then on June 8th, we uh, were at a, actually at a church picnic up in the Wallapies. She was up there, and I asked her out. And uh, for all of you 80s fans, we went to uh, the movie. We went and saw Goonies when it premiered. The, the, we, we saw Goonies when it was really in the theater. And so that's how far. It's always funny because, you know, Goonies is that, that movie is kind of making a resurgence with young people. And Kathy being a teacher, though, oh, have you ever seen the movie Goonies? It's like, yeah, we saw it when it came out the first time, you know. So that's is like. But we had a great, we went to Pizza Hut. I took her to Pizza Hut. That's what we did. Went to Pizza Hut. I don't even remember what kind of pizza we had, but it was a meat lovers, wasn't it? And it was the thick, it was the thick crust because I like thick crust back then. She remembers more than I do. I was paying attention to, I wasn't paying attention to the pizza, trust me. I, and then um, 
we dated for a while, and then uh, I went out to uh, Kathy's mom and dad's house out in Truxton, and, and I, I, the only day that I ever worked for Dan, he never got work before or never got work after, but the one day that I worked for him, went out to help him cut some wood, and I asked him at that time, I said, can I marry Kathy? And you have to understand, I don't know what they were thinking. I, I mean, I have a little girl, and I'm still wondering if she's old enough to be married, and she is, and she's having a baby. But I says to I says ask Dan can can I get mar- can I marry your daughter and he said yes he goes the only thing that we ask is that you would let her graduate first she was still a senior in high school and so um, um, we she graduated on a Thursday and the next Saturday we got married so I, I fulfilled my commitment she was 17 at the time a lot of people said oh we don't know if it's going to work you're too young. Well, I think the jury has come back and it's working. And so we're good to go. So we passed the test of time and, and it, it has been a wonderful relationship. And she, uh, she asked, she, she had one request. She goes, get me out of Kingman. And uh, I got her all the way to the powerful metropolis of Needles, California. We pastored there for two and a half years and then I got her all the way we, we had a little satellite work in Dolan Springs, pastored there for a while, and then back to Kingman. And so I, I took her around the world, man. I mean, we just world traveling <laughs> through the desert. But I did, I did take her to a trip. We did one time I was, had opportunity to preach overseas, and I, was, I went and did a conference in Ghana, uh, Africa, in, in Accra, Ghana, and then I had to fly back into London, and I had, we had her fly over and meet me, and we spent a week in England and Scotland. So I did get you overseas a little bit. So. And she's been to Mexico with me a lot. So anyway, <laughs> just to Tijuana. But, uh, you know, it's, I, have a friend, I have a friend that pastors down there, and we preach for him. But we did, I get, did get you out a lot. You see I'm feeling guilty about that. <laughs> so so I do take her, to Ve- I take her to Vegas often, you know. Oh, I got her to Hawaii. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Pat, Pat, Pat knows Hawaii, man. That was so. Anyway, we had a great time, and it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV uh, version of the Bible. And I'm going to read this passage first, and then... then We'll go from there, so you just hang on with me. The Bible says this, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still others seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus speaks this parable. And I'm going to begin uh, this little mini-series. It's probably going to only be two messages long, but we'll see. Uh, But he speaks this because this is an extremely important subject that Jesus taught on. 
And I love the fact that Jesus finishes this, this little spot that we read by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, it's a funny statement because all of us have ears, but not all of us are listening. Amen. And so that's why this is something that Jesus recognized in the day that he lived, and it's not much different than today. Sometimes we can hear without listening. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That somewhere we, we, can, we can identify that words are being spoken and things are being said, but they don't penetrate our hearts. They don't penetrate, and thereby we miss. And so Jesus is saying, look it, I want you guys to make sure you get this because it's important. And we'll see how much we can get in this first message because before we really can get into the the parable and really pull out of it what Jesus is saying, we have to set the stage first. See, this parable is vitally important because it is talking about the central part of our lives. It's talking about our heart. Listen to what I'm saying. Our hearts are incredibly important. I'm not just talking about the physical muscle that pumps blood through our body. I'm, I'm talking about the central part of your life, the, the place of who you are, where you carry your values and your beliefs and your personality and your will and your decision making and the, the central core of all that makes you, you. This is what Jesus is talking about. And much of the time, I have discovered that the difference between those Christians that succeed in their walk with Christ and those that struggle in their walk with Christ really boils down to the condition of their heart. Because see, your heart is the key to your success in life. Jesus recognized this and through the word the Bible talks about it. In fact, God talks about the fact that when he looks upon people, he doesn't look on the outwards, but he looks on the inward. David, you know, when David was anointed, David, David was the least likely to be chosen because of what was on the outside, but God saw something much different on the inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the problem is today is the church has got it completely backwards because we spend a lot of time on the outside and very little time on the inside. And this is what's hindering, I think. This is what's slowing us down, if you will. And our hearts are incredibly important. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What is he saying? He's saying, look at everything is going to flow through your heart. Everything about your life, everything, every decision, every thought, every action, every reaction, uh, the good days, the bad days, everything that goes on in life is going to flow through your heart, and your heart is going to determine some things. That's why Jesus said this, we can see what your life is all about by the words you speak, because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. I'm, I'm sorry, I got it backwards, didn't I? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I should say it that way. Amen. I got it backwards. But what he's saying, he's saying what's in the well comes up in the bucket. All we have to do is listen to how you talk. And we know what's going on. We know what's happening. Heart, the heart 
is incredibly important. And I was thinking about this as I was putting this message together. Have you ever noticed that for some people, life just seems to be one problem after another? Have you ever noticed that? And then it seems that they're just dragging through life. It just seems like, you know, life is, comes hard to them. It just seems like there's a problem all the time. Maybe you felt like this. And then there's other people that seem to be full of life and they're enjoying everything life has to offer. And you have to ask yourself, what is the difference with these people? What's, what's really going on? And I believe today that what it is, is it's about the condition of their heart. It's about what's going on on the inside. Because look at our hearts in many ways are a filter. And when life happens, how many know life happens. The reality is we are all experiencing difficult days. We are all experiencing problems. We may not have the problems you have and you may not have the problems I have, but nonetheless, they're problems. They are difficult to me. They are difficult to you. We should never stand in comparison. We should never look at somebody else and say, you have a better life than me or you have a worse life than me because we just don't know. Life is life. And things are happening. But what makes the difference is what's going on on the inside because it's a filter. And when, when things go through our life and go through our heart, whatever's in the filter contaminates whatever's there. And so what happens is if we have this thing, if there is this thing, that's why when people have had long-term abuse and hurt and dysfunction, oftentimes life comes up dysfunctional. Why? Because it's traveling through that. It's traveling through that place and things come out messed up. It's not because they're evil people or bad people. In fact, sometimes they're quite good people, but it just comes out wrong. Why? Because something's going on on the inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's no secret that God is concerned about a great many things in our life, but the one area of our lives that God is the most concerned about, above all else, is our heart. Because that's the place where he takes his throne. And he sets up his residence in our heart. And God deals with the heart some 830 times in 762 scriptures in the Bible. And there's no doubt that God is very concerned about it. The problem is that you and I are not just that concerned about it. Let's get honest. Can we get real? When's the last time you really thought about your heart and the condition of your heart? There are multitudes of professing Christians who really do live outwardly good lives. They're kind, they're generous, they're honest people, yet at the same time, the state of their hearts is totally neglected. Now I want you to listen to this verse. Now remember, when, when Jesus comes along, how many know Jesus loves us? I mean, I'm talking about he loves us. And sometimes we measure love based on what he's doing for us. So in other words, if there is, an, if there is a benefit attached to the love, then it's real love. But I could tell you that is an illusion. Because sometimes real love requires discipline correction. 
And even though the Bible says, even though correction is grievous for a moment, the peaceable fruit of righteousness that bears from it is wonderful. And sometimes we, we, in America, particularly the Western church, we look at blessing as a measurement of God's love. So therefore, if I'm blessed, God must love me. If I'm not feeling blessing, God must not love me. And nothing could be further from the truth. There are people that I have met, met and have observed in a worship service that have literally nothing I've been to places like Africa and I've been in some of these remote villages where there is their daily activity, the purpose of their life is finding water and food enough for the day. That's why they got up this morning. But yet there is a joy and there's a fullness and there is this satisfaction when they worship and they dance and they celebrate and they are unashamed and they are unabashed and they are inhibited. They are not even inhibited by anything and, and they're worshiping and it's like, what do you have to celebrate about? We get angry because our second car is not working well. They're still working on the first shoe. Not pair. Shoe. And somehow in them there's a joy. Why? Because they understand the goodness of the Lord is not linked to a, a perception of blessing. The goodness of the Lord is not a thing. It's a person. It's Him. If I have Him, I have everything. So in the Bible, in Isaiah 29, 13, God says something pretty tough, but he says it because he loves us. He, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is made up only of rules taught by men. In other words, what's happening is they have this appearance. They have everything on the outside. They know the buzzwords. You know, after a while, when you've been in church long enough, you know how to communicate. Somebody goes, comes up and says, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. You haven't said anything. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. It's a buzzword. He didn't really want to know how you were doing, and you didn't really want to tell him. Don't you hate it when you say, how you doing? And somebody goes, well, let me tell you. Do you got 20 minutes? <laughs> not, not, not really. I don't care that much. It's true. It's true. How you doing? Well, you know, life is really horrible. I stubbed my toe on my great big brand new bed. I'm, 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 come on, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. And the reality is, is what happens, church, is we get the buzzwords down and we think we got the outside. But church, the outside is not what we're supposed to pay attention to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It amazes me this morning, how little we consider our heart and the condition it's in. Somehow, it's like our physical heart. We don't see it, so therefore, out of sight, out of mind. I had an ex I've had a couple times in my life where I've had some experiences. You know, the, the thing about life and the thing about getting older is you're not supposed to be aware of your heart. You know, when, like right now, I'm doing good, so I, I don't feel my, I, I'm not standing here feeling my heart beat. I just know that it is. And the reason I know what it is is because I'm standing here talking to you. 
So therefore, my heart's beating. But have you noticed, and some of you have know where I'm going, you've been sick or you've had problems, when you know your heart's beating, something's up. Just recently, I had gotten sick and, and the, the sickness had caused my blood pressure to go way up and the blood pressure caused me to have palpitations and I was having these palpitations and you could, I could feel my heart skip. You're not supposed to be aware of that. There's a problem, and it's exhausting. There is a, yeah, you would think, oh, it just skipped a beat. What's the big deal? It exhausts you. Why? Because it's out of rhythm. And when it's out of rhythm, you know it. You know, if Mary was on stage this morning, and she decided to walk to the beat of a different drummer, we would know. All of a sudden, the only thing that you could hear on stage would be the beat of the drum. The beautiful music that he's playing all of a sudden becomes irrelevant. Why? Because the beat of the heart of the music isn't in line. But when she's in line, when she's playing, sometimes you don't even notice it because you pay attention to the melody. All of a sudden, it's like, listen to that song. And that becomes this, this outline that gives it definition. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what's happening in your heart. The problem is, is when it's out of sight, out of mind, we just don't pay attention to it. And that's what happens in life. And sometimes that's what happens in our spirit. We don't pay attention to what's going on in our heart. And it's only when something goes wrong that we begin to consider the importance of our heart. The problem with that is, church, is usually by the time you can feel the problem, it may be too late. The damage is done. Now, the good news about the Spirit is God can, through repentance and forgiveness, and by committing to Him and surrender, He can back up the damage that's been done by sin and by neglect. That's the good news about the Spirit. But what we've got to do is we've got to deliberately pay attention. We can do all kinds of Christian calisthenics, hoping and believing that it's making a difference. But listen, church, it's just not good enough to clean up the outward lifestyle without surrendering our heart to God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25 through 28. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside are full, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now that sounds really harsh, and I know I know that can, that can come across that way. But this is, this is Jesus speaking to people he loves. See, too many times we look at the Pharisees and all of these and we think Jesus didn't love them, but that's not true. The Bible says he talks about Jerusalem, how he would have, like a mother hen, gather his chicks. He, he says, I wanted to pull you in and bring you in, but you would not. You wouldn't. And he says, now you have lost the hour of your visitation. 
He loved those people, but he stands there. He looks at them and says, I got to get honest with you. How many know Pastor Jesus would not be a good pastor today? You need to think about it. Pastor Jesus. Come on. He, you know, Peter, he, here's Peter. Peter has one of the most glorious moments of his life. Jesus asks the question and Peter gets it right. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And, P, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, you know what? Simon Barjona, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He goes, and I'm going to change your name. You're going to be Peter. You're, you, you're, 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 right now you're a little flaky, but you're going to be a rock. Amen. You know, let me just, can I do a little segue real quick? This, this gives hope for every person in this place. Because I'm going to let you in on a secret, and I know this might not be popular, but you're all a little flaky. Well, I'm just like, I'm a little flaky. But the hope is, is that, that God's at work. And he's going to make us a rock. That's the point of God, isn't it? That's, that, that's what he's doing in us. But here's this moment, and, and Peter has this wonderful revelation that comes from God. And almost in the same breath, they have another conversation. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples, go read it, you can. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to be mean and nasty to me. They're going to torment me, hurt me, kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to raise again. And Peter goes, over my dead body. Don't you love it when, when there is no heat on your commitment, how well you can be committed? But Jesus looks at him and says this, get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things of God. Imagine Pastor Jesus in the 21st or 2nd or whatever century we're in, 2022, he walks up to George, get behind me, Satan. How well does that go over in a church? That is not in the manual of good pastoring. <laughs> Come on. You guys, that's good preaching right there, man. That, that's really, really good. You say, why, why is it really good? Because it's real. Let's get real. Do you really want to get real? Let's get real. The reality is, is that Jesus came to help us. And sometimes he's got to pull us out of the sewer. And we get offended by him looking in and going, hey, you're in the sewer. What? How dare you? As the sludge is all over our face. It's gross, isn't it? But that's what Jesus does. Why? Because he absolutely loves us. He says, I, you were not made for the sewer. You're not supposed to make your home in a septic tank. You were meant to sit on the throne next to me. That's who you are. You are a child of the Most High. You are a king and priest before him. You are the body of the Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are a son and daughter of God. You are an heir and joint heir, but you want to live in the sewer. And the reason that you want to be in the septic tank is because there's a problem in your heart. <laughs> Look forward to your cards and emails and notes. 
God holds us accountable for what goes on on the inside, doesn't he? He requires us to keep check on the motives and tents of our heart which inspire us. He warns us that we should take stock of the principles which relegate our lives. And I know this may seem harsh right now, but the reason so much of our, we struggle is because we have resisted the deeper work of salvation, not allowing Jesus in the, all the areas of our heart. Now, I want you to listen to this because I want you to consider Psalm 51 verse 10. Now, if you remember, Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote in repentance when he, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember that? So David pens these words, and in verse 10, he says something that's unique. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, this verse comes in that repentive mode, and David uses a significant word to describe what he is needing from God in that moment. He says, Create in me a clean heart. The word create here is the Hebrew word Bara. Say it with me. Bara. And what's so special about this word is every time it occurs in the Bible, only God is the subject. So what that means is bara is a verb. It's an action. And the way Hebrew is written out, the only way you can use that word is as if God is doing the action. So when we talk about creation, when we talk about people who are creative, when we, when we talk about somebody that creates something, what, they, what, what we're talking about is people that create in such a way as that they take material and parts that are already available and they just simply rearrange it. What God does is takes nothing and creates something out of it. I remember there was a story years ago about a doctor like Dr. Frankenstein that somehow had the ability to take stuff and put it all together and he did something and he created life and he went before God and he goes, creating life ain't that big a deal. And God says, yeah, it is. He goes, no, -uh, look, yeah, I created it. He goes, no, -uh, you just used all the parts I gave you. He goes, now go do it with nothing. <laughs> do you know that everything exists, exists because of the word of God? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and read it. Everything that came about came about because he spoke it into existence. Even the material that he used, the dirt that he used to form, to, uh, form us came about because he spoke that material into existence. We are the culmination of his word. So when you go back to Genesis 1.1 and you read, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, that word created is the same word in Psalm 51.10, bara. God, in the beginning, barad heaven and earth. And David prays, O oh God, bara a clean heart in me. What's the moral of the story? It means your heart can only be repaired, fixed, and created by the hand of God. That's why God urges us to surrender our hearts to Him and to guard them with all diligence. Because whether you know it or not this morning, your heart is a target. 
Not only are the eyes of God continually on the hearts of men, but the strategy of hell is to captivate and capture the heart. And this means that your heart is a battleground. In Luke chapter 21, verses 3 and, or verse 34, excuse me, from the Amplified, it says, But take heed to yourselves and be on guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life, unless the day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. See, both God and Satan lay claim to our hearts. Both want to be master of our hearts because both God and Satan know that the, your heart is the key to your life. It's the place where Jesus does his greatest work, but it's the place where the enemy wages his greatest battle. And the eternal contest is for the hearts of men. One man put it this way. He says, the greatest difficulty in salvation is to win the heart to God, and the greatest difficulty after salvation is to keep the heart with God. See, a surrendered heart is a dwelling place for the presence of God. It's a place where the power of God will flow. But a heart neglected by default, simply not paying attention, becomes deceitful and desperately wicked. So, with this understanding of the heart, let's move into the parable of the sower. This is not a parable about a sower. This is not even a parable about the seed. It's about the soil. It's about the heart. In particular, this parable, Jesus is telling us what kind of heart it takes to receive and retain the Word of God. Now, obviously, this morning, this is extremely critical to you and I because as Christians, you and I are born of the Word of God, and we only thrive if we remain in the Word. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. The entire parable is a profound insight from Jesus himself about the dynamic of the human heart and the Word of God. And more specifically, our ability or inability to receive and retain it. Jesus tells us that four things will happen to the Word when it's sown in our heart. One of four. Either it'll get stolen, or it'll fade out quickly, or it will get choked out, or it'll produce fruit. And what determines what happens is the condition in which our heart is. And make no mistake about it, all hearts do not receive and retain the Word of God the same. Are you hearing me? Now, the first type of soil that Jesus deals with is what's called the path. In our, in our in NIV version, it says, and, and it says, and he sowed the seed and it fell on the path. In the New King James Version, it uses the term wayside. In other versions, it says hard ground. Matthew 13, 4, it says, and he sowed some seed fell by the wayside. And listen, and the birds came and devoured them. Matthew 13, 19, which is Jesus' explanation of that verse, he says, is when anyone hears the word of the kingdom 
and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the word by the wayside. So now what's happening here? It's interesting because it's not just simply a lack of understanding. It's not like we're sitting in a room and we go, I just don't get that. That's not the issue. Because the truth is we need the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God. What he's talking about is he's talking about the fact that we don't understand the value of it. Listen to what I'm saying. We just don't value the Word of God. Here is the unfortunate truth. There are some of you this morning that are listening to the words that I'm speaking, but they're just bouncing off your heart like seeds on the path. There's no understanding, no response, no connection with your heart or mind. Not because you're a bad person. Not because you're filled with evil and wickedness. Not because you're unsaved. But because you have not valued the word. I told you I was at a conference in Los Angeles. Actually, it was in Tustin over by Orange, Santa Ana, Orange, and all of that area. And one of the pastors was preaching, and he was preaching on prophecy. And he touched on this just briefly. He didn't know anything I was preaching, but he touched on this. He's talking about prophecy. And he's talking about how that in every church, we need to be prophesying. Okay. You say, oh, here we go. No, no, don't, get, don't, don't do that. Prophesying is not what you think it is. It's not being an Old Testament prophet. Okay? It's not coming in with doom and gloom and, you know, lightning and judgment and, you know, you're all dead because you're all evil people. That, that, that's all Old Testament. The prophecy in this day is to encourage, to exhort, and to comfort. It's talking about lifting up. It's talking about speaking what God speaks. Okay, it's speaking his word, that's prophecy, it's prophetic. It's, it's what I did this morning, it's the declaration. And Christians need to do that. You need to do that here, you need to do that in your daily life. Let me ask a question, does anybody remember what I said? Some. Do you remember my declaration? A few. Some don't, though. It's like, did, did you say something this morning? Did you declare I thought you were just praying. That's what this guy did in the service. He said, because what happens is pastor was preaching on prophecy, and what had happened about 20 minutes earlier is he had prophesied over the church. And he asked the congregation, who can tell me what I prophesied? And no one could raise their hand, including me. Oh, man, this was a setup, buddy. This was like, I mean, this is ringing a bell because I'm writing the sermon, right? And he goes, what happened is the word got stolen. Got ripped off. See, the, the devil is like a bird. It's kind of like, have you ever done this? Have you ever gone out on the beach in the ocean and you're standing there and you got a bag of McDonald's french fries and you decide to be really friendly to the seagulls and so you throw a french fry to a seagull and then you discover there, there's about 10 billion seagulls that live, live there and there are not enough french fries on the planet to feed all the seagulls, and they all show up. Just ask Andy if that ever happened to him. Well, that's what happens. 
See, there is something attractive about the word of God for the devil. He wants to gobble it up. And when the word of God is being spoken, he swoops in as fast as he can. And if we don't value it and, and take it, it will bounce off our heart and go right into his mouth and he'll be gone. Wow. Come on now. problem is, is for many of us, we've just shifted the Word of God into neutral. It's not, like I said, it's not because we're bad people. It's because after a while, what happens is we become desensitized. We become complacent. See, I love the Word. You say, well, how do I, how do I keep myself from becoming hard like this? Well, the first thing we have to do is surrender every area of our heart. See, some of us hold areas of our heart. We hold back. We, we don't give it all to him. We don't give it all to him. And so, so what we do is there's areas, there's secrets and areas that we just kind of hold back for. Our, we're we're kind of like a smoker that is going to quit, quit smoking, but what we do is we keep an ashtray just in case. What? Yeah, no, throw it all away. All of it. But what happens if I go back? Then buy a new ashtray because it's going to have to cost you something to go back. I think it was Cortez that when he sailed across the ocean and landed on the shore, they burned the ship. Why? Because you can go back, but you're building the ship first. You were a lot more motivated because there was no easy way out. Are you hearing me? And so what happens is we hide these spots because we, we just don't never know. It's a, we just we hold on to them. They're areas of immaturity or areas of in, or insecurity or worse yet. And this is the one that is so sinister. They are areas of habit that we don't think is a problem. Oh, I'm, picking, I'm picking on you today, ain't I? And so what happens is those areas begin to hinder. Don't you hate it when you're hindered? It's kind of like taking a, a cell call. Have you ever been on the cell phone and you're a really good area and it's clear and all of that, but then somehow you move into an area where the, the signal is spotty and you get about every third word? Don't you hate that? You want to throw the phone. You want to change <laughs> providers. You, you go, oh, why? Why is it they can talk to Voyager 1 who has left the heliosphere? It is so far out there that we don't even know where it's at, but they could talk to it. It takes four years for the signal to get here, but we could talk to it, but I can't call my neighbor on a cell phone. Why? Because there are things that hinder the signal. Why is it we're only getting every third word from God? It's what talking to God sounds like. Why? Because there are things in our heart that are hindering. We haven't surrendered. You've got to let go. You've got to let go. Things like unforgiveness. But they don't deserve forgiveness. No, they don't. But you do. You're making it about them. It's about you. Let go. You deserve to be free. Don't let them be in charge of your life. As long as you hang on to unforgiveness, they are running your life from afar. The event that happened is still in control. And you're like, why can't I get rid of this? Because you won't let go. 
It's kind of the proverbial monkey with a banana in a jar. I want the banana and you're fighting. Let go, dump the jar out, and you'll have it. But we hold on. We hold on. Like I said, habits. We don't let people speak into our blind spot. We get offended. How dare you say that to me? That ain't who I am. Looks like it to me. Well, who are you? I'm your friend and I love you. Are you getting it? And so we don't surrender. And so those areas continue to work. Sometimes our hearts are shattered. Amen. We've had situations, we've been betrayed, we've had people speak things, hurt us and all of that, and it shattered our heart. And you know what? We don't let God repair it. I remember a story of a little boy. It's a corny story. In fact, I think the first time I heard this story was from Dermon Blacknick sitting right there back when we were doing jail together. And the story goes like this. There was a little boy that had a, a porcelain duck. And he was admiring it one day, and for whatever reason, it fell to the floor, and it broke into a thousand pieces, and it really upset him. So he gathered all the pieces, put it in a box, and went before God. And he looked at God, he says, God, can you fix anything? And God says, I can fix anything. And he says, do you think that you could fix my, 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 my porcelain duck? And God says, I can fix it. He goes, can you do it now? And God says, I'll do it. He says, I'll tell you what, you, you go, go off and, and do a couple things and come back, and I'll have this ready for you. So he goes off and he does his thing and he comes back into the throne room. He says, God, did you fix it? And God goes, nope. Little boy says, but I thought you said you could fix anything. He goes, I can. He goes, well, why didn't you fix my porcelain duck? He goes, because you didn't give me all the pieces. And see, what happens is when our heart is like that, it grows hard. And when we don't surrender, when we don't allow him to have access... When we don't value the word, then what happens is the word cannot penetrate. See, in order for a seed to do what a seed does, it has to abide in the ground. That's where it dies so that it can come to life because it is a foreshadowing of what Jesus did. Jesus is the eternal seed of life. He is the word. That seed has to be planted in a heart that is surrendered. And you've got to ask yourself, see, I have people in my life that speak to me. They say things to me. And I ponder them and I think about them. And I don't reject any of it. I listen. I take it to God and I say, God, is there validity here? Do I need to pay attention? Some of those people are my children. They speak into my life. I don't like it. I don't like my kids. Why? Because they're my kids. Who are you? Do you know I'm 30-some years older than you? What are you with you? Who are you, you little rug rat? But my children are adults, men and women of God. And they see something, and God says, you ought to pay attention. I don't like that. My friends, I have friends that will speak into my life because they say things to me, and I go, man, I didn't see that. And he go, I know. I love you, though. And God will bring faithful friends along your way that will help you to identify the areas of your life so that you can change it, so that you can not be hard, so you can surrender to him, so that the seed of the word of God can penetrate your life. I'm going to ask Jason to come. 
as we put, bring this to a close. Here's the point of all of this, church. Jesus is dealing with the heart. The first thing he deals with is the, the soil that's hard, and it's hard because it hasn't valued the Word. It hasn't surrendered to God. It hasn't taken care of everything. It's hid, and it remains hard. All of us, at some level, have hardness in us. We become resistant. There's a new thing that you might hear often on TV commercials because they try to sell medicine for it. It's called, and it may have been around for a while, but it's called insulin resistance. It's where your body grows to a point because of bad eating habits where your body can no longer process insulin. Sometimes the very problem of our life is not some deep, dark, spiritual secret, but it's just we're just not healthy. We're just not eating well. See, the Bible talks about the Word of God as being that thing that penetrates our life. You say, well, how do I let it do that? In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God tells Joshua the secret to life. In fact, he says... He, he brings up, he, it's kind of, if in computer programming, you'll know that there's a thing called an if-then statement. If, if, if the answer is this, then go do this. If the answer is that, then go do this. And God kind of does that in the Word. He says, if you'll meditate on my Word day and night, then you will bring yourself good success. He said the natural outcome of meditation. Now I'm, now, I'm not talking about that Eastern religion where you empty yourself. I'm talking about the kind of meditation that fills yourself. You fill yourself with God. And you say, well, what is that meditation? It's a Hebrew word that literally means to mutter or to speak. What am I speaking? The Word of God. So literally, you say, well, what does that look like? Sit in your chair, get a verse that's speaking to you, and pray it out loud. Speak it. Speak it everywhere you go. Tell your husband, your wife, your kids. Tell your dog. Look at your dog in the face and go, I just want to tell you about what God gave me. Your dog will look at you, and, and whether he hears or repents or whatever, it don't, I don't know, but you will hear it. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. It'll penetrate, and it will cure that hardness. Can you say Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing, God. I just thank you, Lord, that you have helped us and you are encouraging us, God, and I just give you glory. And Father, I pray, God, that you would cause this revelation, God, to be a reality. Lord, that we would walk in this, God, that we would not be offended, but, Lord, we would be encouraged, God, that you took the time to show us how our lives work so that we could grow in you and that we could bear the fruit you have ordained for us. We're careful to give you the praise and the glory. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask for my ministry team to come forward, if you would, my ministry team. And for the rest of you today, if you need prayer of any kind, I ask that you would come up front and let them pray for you. Now, next week, the sermon is going to be the other three um, uh, types of soil, I encourage you to come and listen to that so we can mine out what Jesus wants from us in that. 
Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to let you go. You guys have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.